If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here. Thankful for your mercy and your grace. Thankful, Lord, that you are faithful. That all our lives you have been faithful. That you've never let us down. And Lord, we believe in Jesus' name that you will continue to work. We pray for Carter and his family. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would reach their hearts. And that, Lord, you would always point them towards you. We pray that each of us in this room today would always have a heart that is inclined towards you. And now, in the name of Jesus, as we enter into this time of the Word, we ask that you would open up our hearts, our understanding, that we might comprehend what you are saying, that we might apply it to our lives and bring glory to you. And we'll give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, we started here last week. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. We could read the whole chapter, but we'll start there at verse 14. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things things the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as for Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I want to continue this week a, a, a message that I started last week called Resurrection People. Uh, we are coming into the Easter season, and as I said, obviously, we always know when Christmas is here, they let us know months in advance. Uh, they let us know with the decorations and the sales and the, and the Hallmark movies and everything else that happens halfway through the middle of the year, right? We always know when Christmas is coming. But for a lot of us, Easter can sneak up on us. Uh, because it's just not as materialistic to the world. They can't make as much money off of it, except sell a bunch of chocolate and some eggs that everybody goes out and hunts, right? And so, but as the people of God, this should be a season in which our hearts are turned towards God in a new and a fresh and a real way. They call this season Lent. It starts on Ash Wednesday. And normally during Lent, a lot of, a lot of uh, denominations and a lot of parts of Christianity will observe Lent by... Uh, <clears throat> self-sacrifice by fasting something, by preparing their hearts. And, and even though we as a church don't necessarily um, follow Lent a, as a whole, I do believe it is a good idea that as the people of God, as we are moving towards Easter, that we should turn our hearts towards God in a different way, that we should prepare our hearts for the celebration that is coming, that this should be a season of reflection, a season of worship, a season of submission, a season of repentance a season of self-sacrifice, which might include fasting, which might, might include uh, laying aside some of our own selfish desires and wants. So I believe that this is an awesome season. 
And, and what we celebrate is the reason why Christianity exists. Is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was crucified on a cross and rose again three days later. And for that we celebrate and give honor and praise unto Him. But we also recognize that as the people of God, what defines us as Christians, what defines us as followers of Jesus, is if we have been made new by this resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Have we been born again? Has our, have our hearts been changed by the power of God? And if it has, then church, you are a resurrected person. You are one who was once dead, but now you are alive because of the grace and the goodness of God. So we are resurrection people. And so what we talked about last week is we talk about here in in Colossians chapter 3 what uh, a resurrection person looks like, the character traits of a resurrection person. And number one is that resurrection people are kingdom-minded. We talked about that last week. He said, "Seek, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. And so if we are resurrection people, first and foremost, we are kingdom-minded people, which means we want to align our wills with the will of God. Amen? We want to make sure that our heart is in line with God's heart. We want to make sure that our, that our desires are in line with God's desire. That's being kingdom-minded people. And then the other two characteristics is, if you're a resurrection person, you are dead. I know that doesn't make any sense, but you're dead. And then number three, you are alive. So resurrection people are kingdom-minded, they're dead, and they are alive. And so this week I want to look at the fact that Paul mentions this subject of death. He says in in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, most of us know and realize that death is a serious matter, and, and we don't really like to think that much about death. Um, death can be a scare, scary thing because it's unknown. It can be a, a scary thing because uh, we, don't, we don't know what's on the other side, and we don't want to leave our family behind, and those kind of things. And the reason why death is so serious is death is so final, right? Death means that life has come to an end. And so most of the time, we don't like sitting around thinking about death. I mean, if I were to take a poll in here this morning and ask how many of you like life and how many of you like death, most of you would probably choose life, unless you're some person who just enjoys uh, being all depressed and discouraged and dead, right? Most of us probably would choose life. And here's the thing. Life was God's idea, right? God is the one who, who produced life, who brought life, and who continues to bring life, And so I understand that we don't like to talk about those final things that are happening. And let's just be honest. We're all trying our best to not get there any faster than we have to. Right? We're trying to eat better. We're trying to exercise. We're taking vitamins and pills. And, and, you know, you know, you, you know that you've reached that stage when you have to go buy the pill caddy. Right? When you've got to. Once you've got to buy the pill caddy, you recognize because I always feel a whole lot more comfortable when the doctor says things like, you know, that's pretty normal for your age, right? But then you realize that at one point in time, uh, eventually at some point in time in my life, death is going to be pretty normal for my age. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not as comfortable anymore, right? Uh, we, don't always, we, don't, <laughs> we don't always feel that kind of 
that kind of encouragement. We're doing everything we can to try to make ourselves feel young, maybe even look young, right? Trying to take care of ourselves and things like that. We don't want trying to get the gray out of our hair, you know, maybe getting some injections, stomach tucked. I don't know. We're just, we're always trying to stay young, aren't we? It's kind of like the woman who who uh, was told that she was going to pass away and she only had a few months to live and she, she prayed to God and God said, no, I'm going to give you 40 more years of your life. And she said, well, I'm going to make the most of it. And she went out and had a facelift and tummy tuck and had her hair colored and did all kinds of things. When she left the surgery after getting all of her stuff done, she got ran over by a bus and died. <laughs> she went to heaven. She was mad. She's like, God, you told me I had 40 more, 40 more years and I got hit by a bus. And God said, I didn't recognize you. There was a guy that came to the doctor. I'm sorry, I shouldn't tell death jokes. But there was a guy that came to the doctor. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, you have a horrible disease, a fatal disease. You do not have much time to live. And the man said, well, how much time do I have? And he said, ten. He said, ten what? Ten months? Ten weeks? Ten days? And the doctor said, nine, eight, seven. (laughs) That's pretty bad. (laughs) You're pretty close there. We don't like to talk about death because death is so final. And we're doing everything we can to get away from it. And we all mourn. We all mourn when we lose those that we love. But here's the thing about the Bible. Here's the thing about Christianity. Here's the thing about spiritual things. When it comes to spiritual things, we recognize and know that death is nothing more than a gateway. It's nothing more than a progression. We know that the Bible teaches us that when we physically die, that that's not the end of our lives. That there is an eternity waiting. Heaven for those who believe, hell for those who are unbelievers. We recognize that there is an eternity that is waiting for us. So death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. Death is a resurrection. Death, death is, a, is a promotion, right? Death is a graduation. Is it a gateway to someplace else? But everything involved in our spiritual walk declares that death is a gateway to something else. The new birth. Salvation itself has a death component to it. Sanctification or being set apart by God has a death process that takes place in our life. Repentance itself is an action of death. Dying to ourself and sin and turning to God in faith because of the grace and the goodness of God. We recognize that, that even following Jesus is a call to die. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we recognize that even following Jesus indicates a certain type of death that God has commanded us to experience. So to walk with Christ, to be resurrection people, how many of you know you can't experience the resurrection if you haven't experienced the cross? You can't experience the resurrecting power of God if you haven't first experienced the death toll over our lives by bringing our hearts to the cross of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus, to be saved, to be born again, to be set apart from God is a death experience. It means that something within us should die. 
Something within us should brought, be brought to the altar. And I've said this many times before. Us in the New Testament, really times, we don't recognize the importance, the seriousness, the power of the altar. Because for a lot of churches, the altar is just an ornament. It's just a, it's just a, a, a decoration. It's just another piece of, of furniture. It's what makes the church look like a church. Right? So the altar many times is just a place of maybe where we might go to pray or, or that we might decorate during Christmas and Easter, right? But the Old Testament people understood the power of the, of the altar. When they built an altar, they recognized that something was coming to that altar alive, but something was leaving dead, right? You didn't come to an altar and something not be sacrificed. Many times we don't recognize that when we bring our hearts to Christ, When we bring our hearts to the altar, God has called us to die. And Paul said, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Paul told the Galatians what? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, it is Christ that liveth in me in the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so I recognize that my life is a crucified life. My life is a life that is committed to dying. And so what do we die to? What does the Bible tell us that we are supposed to die to? Number one, we are supposed to die to sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6 verse 2, or verse 1, How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says that we are to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin. Petra had a song called Dead Reckoning. Remember that song? Dead Reckoning. Who writes a song called Dead Reckoning except Petra? Some of y'all are like, who in the world is Petra? Look them up on iTunes, Spotify, something. You need to listen to Petra. They were an 80s Christian rock band, and they wrote some serious songs. But the Bible tells us that I am to reckon myself dead to sin. In other words, I'm supposed to consider myself dead to sin. What else are we supposed to be dead to? We are supposed to be dead to the flesh. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh and that we are called to crucify those lusts so that we might commit ourselves to the purpose of God in our lives. So we are supposed to be dead to sin. We are supposed to be dead to the flesh. And then the Bible tells us that we are supposed to be dead to the world. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says that I am crucified unto Jesus. I am dead because of the crucifixion of Jesus. And I am dead unto the things of the world. Paul said, why is it that you have died to the rudiments of the world? You keep going back to those things to try to find satisfaction. Paul says that we are dead to sin, we are dead to their flesh, and we are dead to the world. Now, when we use that phrase, dead, some of you may have heard that phrase before. Have you ever heard anybody say, you're dead to me? Right? If somebody... You know, if somebody starts singing, if somebody starts cheering for the Pit Panthers, I'm going to tell them, you're dead to me. Right? And what do we we mean by that? They're not physically dead. They're not physically gone. They're still there. Right? So we do recognize that they're there. When we say that we are dead to these things, 
We are saying that we are no longer going to allow them to affect us in the way in which they are designed to affect us. So in other words, when it comes to sin, when it comes to flesh, when it comes to the world, we are supposed to have a deaf mentality. You can't touch me any longer. I don't belong to you. That's not my life. That's not who I am. That's who I used to be. But I've been made brand new. I've, been, I've become somebody else. I've met the grace of God. I've been to the cross. And because I've been to the cross, I've been resurrected a brand new person. And because of that, I'm dead to you. You have no power over me. You have no authority over me. You have no influence over me. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. We are dead to sin, dead to the flesh, dead to the world, but alive under the Spirit of God. We are now allowing that which used to influence us to fall away so that we might grab a hold of what God wants to use to influence our lives. And so as long as we hold on to this mentality that I can go back to the flesh, I can go back to sin, I can go back to the world, we're going to continually live defeated lives. Now here's the thing. What the enemy wants to do, the picture that the enemy wants to paint, is that he wants to tell you that where you used to be is better than where you're going. The enemy wants to tell you that sin and the flesh and the world is what's going to bring you the most satisfaction, the most joy, the, most, the purpose and the fulfillment that you're looking for. This is the lie of the devil. We have to recognize that dying to these things, though they, it might be hard and even painful, dying to these things is the greatest decision we could ever make. And will bring us the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment that we have ever experienced in our lives. We have to recognize that as resurrection people, that we have been called to do more than just look at sin or look at the flesh and look at the world and act as though it doesn't matter. Because it surely does. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so Paul tells us that as resurrection people, we are literally commanded to put to death. The King James Version uses the phrase mortify. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Put to death those things that are still connected to earth. Those things which the flesh and the world has promised to satisfy, mortify, and put those things to death. Now, let me say this. We all know that, that putting something to death is, is not always easy. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, it's not always easy. We recognize that. Jesus even said, who, who doesn't, what, what general doesn't sit down and make sure that they've got everything that they need before they go into battle? Who, doesn't, who starts building a building without making sure they've got all the supplies to, to, to finish it off? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to count the cost. You have to count the cost of following me. Jesus even told folks, listen, if you want to follow, if you want to follow after me, you have to recognize you've got to love me more than you love father and mother, brother and sister, son, daughter. You've, your love for me has to be unmatched. Your commitment to me has to be complete and total. And so we recognize that it's not always easy. And so when we read passages like this, put to death, mortify, put off, take off, these kind of things, 
It's easy for us to look at the Bible as a group of lists. Don't do these things and do these things and you'll be saved. How many of you know that's not how it works? If you don't know here this morning, the only way you can be saved is by grace through faith. Period. For we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we are his workmanship, Paul goes on and says, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But he does not say that those good works save us. Even James, when you read the book of James and people might say, well, he he mentions that works saves. What James is saying is, is that if you have faith, you'll have works. Because without your works, your faith is dead. But it's easy for us many times to look at passages of Scripture and say, well, look at what God's saying. God's telling me, don't do this. In our nature, in our nature, especially if we do not know Christ, in our nature is to rebel against those commandments. I remember when I first went to Bible college. They weren't done finishing the dorms. The dorms were not built yet. Well, they were built, but they were still getting finished off. For a matter of fact, we used to go over in the evening and help work on them. I remember caulking windows and, and uh, caulking in the shower. and So we were working on it. So the first two weeks I lived in Columbus, Ohio, I lived in a hojo. And so by the time we finally got into the dorms, they didn't have anything set up. They didn't have any resident directors or resident assistants. They didn't have anything. So you had a bunch of kids who had just came out of high school. and I was a little bit older. I went to college. But you had a bunch of 18, 19-year-olds who had just come out of high school. They're at a Bible college. They come and get in a dormitory with no rules. Nobody in charge. And after we had been there for about two months, they finally started setting up resident assistants, resident directors, uh, coming up with rules and all this kind of stuff. Now, how many of you know that after an 18 and 19-year-old's been living any way he wants to live for two months, and you come in and say, all right, now you can't do that, what are they going to do? They're going to do that. They rebelled. There were all kinds of stuff happening. Kids got thrown out of Bible college, you know. I had people calling from, from the, uh, the uh, adult entertainment shop down the road asking if they could catch a ride. I'm like, I'm not picking you up at Jessica's. Find a ride home. But that's what happens when you live your life by rules. If you just live your life by rules, then it makes it easier for you to rebel against those rules. And those rules never produce life. As we said last week in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes about the fact that you've got people that are still trying to live by the law or trying to live by pagan aesthetics, trying to deny themselves and beat themselves into submission And Paul's like, this does not produce any power to overcome the indulgences of the flesh. For a matter of fact, it only magnifies them, is what Romans chapter 7 says. It only magnifies my sin. So I don't want you to look at these as lists. I want you to look at this as life-giving commands. Right? Those of you who have children, you give your kids commands, don't you? You tell them what to do. Right? It's, it, you don't, you know, you make sure that your kids aren't playing where they shouldn't play or maybe not eating what they shouldn't eat or putting their hand on the stove when they shouldn't put their hand on the stove. Haven't we all done that as kids, right? Don't we tell our children, hey, don't play in the road, right? Now, we play on our little back streets, but when I, when I was a kid and we played hide and seek, it was called foot chase, 
right, we played foot chase. We ran all over town. But there were always out-of-bounds lines. And one of them was the main road. Does anybody know what the main road is? It's McCorkle Avenue. But for me, it was the main road. For Dad, it was the hard road. Because Dad still remembers dirt roads in Marmette, I guess. Remembers the wagon trails. And... But McCorkle Avenue was the hard road. Right? Did you call it the hard road ever, Robert? Did you ever call it the hard road? Or did you ever hear it called the hard road? Stay out of the hard road. Right? So we couldn't go. You weren't allowed to run across the main road. Right? When we were playing chase. That was just common knowledge, Rock. You don't play on McCorkle Avenue. Right? Now we could have said, How dare my parents tell me I can't play on the hard road. Right? And I could go out there and do it, right? I could rebel. I could go. I could have fun. And I could die. Right? And many times, that's how the enemy tries to, to paint the pictures. God is trying to hold you back from enjoying life. God is trying to hold you back from having fun. God is trying to hold you back from really being fulfilled or really being satisfied. When all God is saying is, is if you'll follow what I'm telling you to follow, you'll be more joyful, more satisfied, more at peace, more fulfilled, and guess what? You might be alive tomorrow. So Paul says, put to death, mortify your members which are upon earth. And maybe we need to look at some of these. Some of us might not even know what sin is anymore. Right? Because in the culture that we live in, in the day and age that we've lived in, we have so redefined what sin is that we don't even necessarily know anymore. So what's the Bible say? Put off fornication. I need everybody to know that fornication is still sin. That sex outside of marriage, out of the marital covenant, is sin. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're an adult. Fornication is still sin. Is that, that, that's, that's kind of controversial in the day and age that we live in. Uncleanness, what this word refers to, basically, is impurity. But it's an, it's an impurity in thought and in action. Inordinate affection. Inordinate affection has been also translated as vile passions or vile or desires, or desiring those things that are forbidden, inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence. I love that word. Somebody needs to use it sometime today. Yes. We know what evil is. Concupiscence is only... Concupiscence is referring, yes, to lust in a way in which we desire that which does not belong to us. So it ties into covetousness. But covetousness here, the word for covetousness here, is actually referring to greed. It's not just desiring something was not meant for us to have, but it's living in greed, almost extortion, which is idolatry. Paul says that coveting is idolatry. That when we desire something so much that we would allow greed to overtake us, that means we have placed a God before God. That's idolatry. This is sin. And Paul says, for these things, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. 
I know in the day and age that we live in, the message is God loves everybody. Jesus loves everyone. Love wins and all those kind of things. I get it. Yes, God does love us. God loves us so much that he tells us if we don't repent of our sins, we will die in those sins. That's how much God loves us. And Paul reminds us, yes, we serve a God who loves. But if we continue in this kind of lifestyle, the wrath of God abides on us. And Paul says that it was in times that you walked like this when you lived in them. So again, Paul is reminding them, you are dead to these things. These are not things that I should continually be telling you about. You should already be dead to them. That's what he told the Corinthians. He says, it's been told to me that there are people in the church that are suing one another, that are fighting each other, they're in disunity. There's a guy in the church that's sleeping with his, with his stepmother, and nobody in the church is doing anything about it. And Paul, Paul says, you have to be reminded, this used to be you. This used to be you. But now you're dead. You're dead to these things. And not only does he say that you're dead, but he looks at them as a way of taking something off. As though it no longer fits you. So as the people of God, there are things that we've been called to take off because they no longer fit our lives. And Paul even lists them here. Anger. Lots of times when we think about sin, oh, let's think about all the horrible ones. At least I didn't kill anybody. Well, but you're consistently living in unrighteous anger. He also mentions wrath. Wrath is not just anger, but it's a desire for revenge. I will get my revenge. That's wrath. Malice. Malice refers to desiring, <clears throat> desiring that unfortunate things would actually happen to people. That's malice. Blasphemy here, the word blasphemy in this sense actually means slander. Filthy communication out of our mouth. That phrase there in the Greek refers to obscene or abusive language. So we may look and say, well, murder's sin. But Paul says, as a child of God, as someone who's dead to sin, filthy communication no longer fits you. It no longer fits your life. And then finally he says, lie not one to another. Man, we've learned how to lie really, really well. It surprises me how well people can lie and it not affect them at all. Because we're always looking for ways to justify who we are or justify what we've done. And why do you do this? Because you've put off the old man with his deeds. You have died to these things. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So my challenge to you here this morning is that as the Holy Spirit convicts you, shows you the depths of your heart, challenges you, the Spirit of God is calling you to die. Die to sin, die to the flesh, die to the world, die to the law, die to trying to fulfill your life by your own deeds and your own dreams and your own passions and turn your heart to pursuing Christ, pursuing His Word, pursuing His promises, pursuing His purpose. For this alone will bring you the satisfaction that you've been looking for. As resurrection people here today, I challenge you. Allow God to bring you to a place of death so that you might experience the true power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And if you're in this building today and you don't know him and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's calling you to come and die so that you might have real life. So that the old you, the old desires, the old plans, the old flesh dies and a new person is resurrected. This is what's promised to you by the grace of God. You can be made new by the grace of God. Why don't you bow your heads with me here this morning? Father, we turn our hearts to you. We are so grateful for your faithfulness to us. So grateful for your promises. So grateful, Lord, that your word is true. And that, Lord, you are true to fulfilling those in our lives. Lord, we want to be the people that you've called us to be. And so we know that you have called us to a place of death. That you've called us to an altar of death. You've called us to put to death the old man and his deeds. That you have called us to walk in newness of life. Life that can only be experienced through death. And so this morning as resurrection people, Lord, we are committed to die to sin, die to the flesh, and die to the world. We might honor you with a faith that is real and a heart that is pure.